Today is Labor Day, so I'm going to talk about spiritual work. I'll just just mention, of course, Labor Day, of course, was was uh, began with the labor movement, for to whom we owe much a debt of gratitude. The people who gave us the weekend, among other things, um, and I'll also just acknowledge that. Um, you know, with all the ways that we support ourselves in the world, right livelihood is always a consideration. Now, that would be a whole other topic, but just um, just worth considering, you know, the, how the, the day job we have uh, plays a part in the spiritual work that we do. So the 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 topic is, I could call it spiritual work or... or um, personal growth work or healing work, in some ways all different names are the same thing. I think throughout the talk I'll just refer to it as the work, um, the work that we do in our spiritual path. And, and the first kind of interesting question is, how do we know we're doing the work? You know, Be, because it's one of these things where in spiritual circles it's almost a badge of honor to say, you know, I've done my work or I'm doing the work, you know. How do we know we're doing the work? You know, it's um, theoretically it would be possible for someone to meditate or, you know, have a yoga practice or whatever and, you know, be getting comfort and stress reliefs out of it. But but nothing about it was ever challenging them. Nothing about their life was ever changing, you know, and it it's hard to imagine that that would be the work, you know. And I mean, that's an extreme example, but um how to say it? I th- I think there's all I think we all have moments when when self denial and self delusion kind of gets the better of us, and we we think we're we're doing the work, but there's something that we're you know we come up with all too easy excuses not to look at something that we should be looking at, you know that sort of thing. And so this really highlights what I would call the one of the important aspects of doing the work, which is namely self honesty and almost a a rigorous, unsparing kind of self-honesty. Um, you know, knowing that we we have a ten- we have such such a human tendency, an all-to-human tendency, to sugarcoat things about ourselves, to to um, upplay our our strengths and downplay our faults, and you know all this sort of thing. Um, and so, honesty is very important. And and interestingly, one one valuable way to get you know to get a, a greater sense of honesty with ourselves is to invite feedback into our lives. Um, you know, as much as possible, you know, to gather feedback when we can, when it's possible to set up some sort of system to get feedback, um, but also just to welcome even the uninvited feedback. You know. A person, when a person gives me uninvited feedback, especially if they're in a moment of charge, you know, some of that might be more about them, but there's there's often a at least a hook of something that is relevant to to me and to what I hold, you know. Um, and I think related to this also is just the the idea of of having a community of friends and ultimately having having a sangha, you know, in, in Buddhist tradition, one of the three jewels is the sangha itself. And it is a jewel precisely because 
we we get feedback from from the people with whom we're emotionally intimate. We get feedback that all kinds of things that we simply can't see about ourselves. And there's there's something uh, extraordinarily powerful about that. And I'd say kind of related to this is another characteristic of the work. I We could frame it either as courage or even as capacity. Um, as, I, as I often say, uh, I have a, a dear friend who likes to say one of the most important questions in life is simply, how big is your capacity? You know, how big an experience can you hold without being overwhelmed, without losing contact with with your heart, with your with your vulnerability, this sort of thing. Um, in some ways, it's the the nature of if we're really doing the work, it's the nature of the work that over time it strengthens our it it expands our capacity because we're we're leaning into uncomfortable things. Um, and just that process of leaning into, you know, I lean into one uncomfortable thing and then it becomes comfortable and then I'm able to lean into the next thing. Um, through that process over time, our capacity grows. And it, it, one way to say it also is that part and parcel of the work is facing our deepest fear. And, and the funny thing is that that whole idea of our deepest fear, it's a moving goalpost, you know, because what happens is, you know, at, at maybe at an earlier stage of life, I think, you know, such and such, that's my deepest fear. And then I, I'm able to face it and acclimate to it. Eventually, I'm all right, I'm comfortable with that. I'm adapted that I have a, a larger capacity that I can hold that. And then the fear behind that comes, you know, and then, you know. At each stage of spiritual growth, there's something more challenging. Um, I very much think of this in terms of what I do with my students. You know, at the beginning of the year, maybe they're working on chapter one. And at first, that material is, is hard and confusing. And eventually, they get comfortable with it. And they're nice and confident with it by the end of the chapter. And they'd like to stay on that forever. But we're moving on then to chapter two, and they need the chapter one stuff to understand chapter two, but now they're confused again, and there's harder stuff to learn. And, you know, that cycle keeps on continuing. Uh, when they master one thing, then that's time to move on to the next. And and I notice that in my own spiritual path, it seems like the, the universe does much the same thing to me, you know, that... Uh, you know, just when I when I get one set of things figured out, then um then the next challenge pose you know arises in my life, and sometimes it's uh, almost miraculous the the kind of synchronicity, the way that inner and outer dance together to create those conditions. And so a a funny thing about the work, about doing the work, if we really are doing the work. It's funny to consider to whom does the work belong? You know, it's, I, I think there's a big tendency when we all have begun, when we all be, have, you know, the time that we began our spiritual practice, we, we probably came to it because we had stress or we had issues or we had pain or discomfort or something. And, 
And at first, you know, spiritual practice is a kind of balm, a kind of thing that helps us ground or deal with that pain or deal with that discomfort, you know. Um, but it, it's funny to think about, you know, my, my meditation practice, does it belong to me or does it belong to the world, you know? Does my meditation belong to me or do I belong to my meditation practice? You know, like what is, what is the proper, proper role of ego there and the proper, the proper situating of, of what is, what is larger and what is smaller and what, what is ultimately the driver, you know, and it's, um, ultimately I think there's something that almost the height of hubris for ego to think, you know, I am the driver of, of my spiritual growth, you know. So with that, I'll share the quote sheet. First, I'll share it with all the Zoomies. Here you go. Physical copy for the the roomy. So an odd one from Tennyson. There's more faith in honest doubt, believe me, than in half the creeds. And just that whole idea that uh, sitting with our doubt is is part of the work. You know, there's a Zen tradition of... Uh, the, what what the Zen tradition they call the great doubt, sitting with the great doubt. Um, Virginia Woolf said, "To look life in the face, always to look it, look life in the face, and know it for what it is, and at last to love it for what it is." Just a wonderful quote. Henry Miller said, "Every man, when he gets quiet, when he becomes desperately honest with himself." is capable of uttering profound truths. We all derive from the same source. There are no mysteries about the origin of things. We are all part of creation, all kings, all poets, all musicians. We have only to open up to discover what is already there. Milton Erickson said, The unconscious mind is decidedly simple, unaffected, straightforward, and honest. It hasn't got all this facade, this veneer of what we call adult culture. It's rather simple, rather childish. It's direct and free. So that's a a very interesting reflection on um, who we might be at our core. Walter Anderson said, Our lives improve only when we take chances. And the first and most difficult risk we can take is to be honest with ourselves. Abraham Maslow said, One can choose to go back toward safety or forward toward growth. Growth must be chosen again and again. Fear must be overcome again and again. The the Jungian disciple of Jung, Marie-Louis von Franz, said, Ego must be able to listen attentively and to give itself without any further designs or purpose toward that inner urge toward growth. People living in cultures more securely rooted than our own have less trouble in understanding 
that it is necessary to give up utilitarian attitudes of conscious planning in order to make way for the inner growth of the personality. Thomas Merton said, You do not need to know precisely what is happening or exactly where it is all going. What you need to recognize what you need is to recognize the possibilities and challenges offered by the present moment and to embrace them with courage, faith, and hope. That's a wonderful one just about control, the control of knowing. You know, I want the whole story, you know, this sort of thing. The Dalai Lama said, the period of greatest, pain, greatest gain in knowledge and experience is the most difficult period in one's life. Through a difficult period, you can learn. You can develop inner strength, determination, and the courage to face the problems. Chiang Trungpa said, Real fearlessness is the product of tenderness. It comes from letting the world tickle your heart, your raw and beautiful heart. You are willing to open up without resistance or shyness and face the world. You are willing to share your heart with others. Bernie Glassman said quite simply, in every area, working with what you habitually reject is one of the best ways to facilitate growth and transformation. Jack Cornfield said, to open deeply as genuine spiritual life requires, we need tremendous courage and strength, a kind of warrior spirit. Deepak Chopra said, According to Vedanta, there are only two symptoms of enlightenment, just two indications that a transformation is taking place within you toward higher consciousness. The first symptom is that you stop worrying. Things don't bother you anymore. You become lighthearted and full of joy. The second symptom is you encounter more and more meaningful coincidences, more and more synchronicities. And this accelerates to the point where you actually experience the miraculous. Eckhart Tolle said, When faced with a radical crisis, the old way of being in the world, of interacting with each other and within the realms of nature doesn't work anymore, when survival is threatened by seemingly insurmountable problems, an individual life form or a species will either die or become extinct or rise above the limitations of its condition through an evolutionary leap. Henry Cloud said, there is a big difference between hurt and harm. We hurt sometimes in facing hard truths, but it makes us grow. It can be the source of huge growth. This is not harmful. Harm is when you damage someone. Facing reality is usually not a damaging experience, even though it can hurt. Adi Ashanti said, the process of finding the truth may not be a process by which we feel increasingly better and better. It may be a process by which we look at things honestly, sincerely, and truthfully, and this may or may not be an easy thing to do. Tara Brock said, Finding the courage to take the risk to speak what is true enlarges you. You become more real to yourself, more intimate with others. David White said, The only choice we have as we mature is how we inhabit our vulnerability, how we become larger and more courageous and more compassionate through our intimacy with disappearance, our choices to inhabit vulnerability as genuine series of genuine generous citizens of loss, robustly and fully, or conversely, 
as misers and complainers, reluctant and fearful, always at the gate of existence, but never bravely and completely intending to enter, never wanting to risk ourselves, never walking fully through the door. And two from Rasa Mamenikin. He said, paradoxically, the only way to ease your pain is to accept it, work with it, and use it as fuel for growth. Only by leaning into your pain can you move through it and out of it. He also said, in today's America, we tend to think of healing as something binary. Either we're broken or we're healed from that brokenness. But that's not how healing operates, and it's almost never how human growth works. More often, growth and healing take place on a continuum with innumerable parts between utter brokenness and total health.